0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Walters Sports Bar will sponsor your next private event. Walters is located right across the street from the ballpark in Navy Yard.
1: Register at waltersdc.com and click the Inquire Now button. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best
2: way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. you need indeed with the number two pick in the 2023 mlb draft the washington nationals select dylan cruz an outfielder from lsu
3: The Detroit Tigers had the next pick. Coming from an organization or a team like LSU, it's a program of excellence, so I'm going to bring that over to uh, to the Nationals.
2: We were very excited to get a chance to draft uh, Dylan Cruz, you know, Golden Spikes Award winner, consecutive uh, All-Americans, freshman of the year in the SEC. Uh, This guy is is an extremely decorated player. Uh, He's a national championship. He's a winner. He's won everywhere he's been. So we're really happy that he's here with the Nationals, and and hopefully he can help us continue that winning winning nature that he's always had. And
0: welcome to Natch Chat for Monday, July 10th. 2023, along with MassinSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. The 2023 All Star Break has begun. The Nats at the Break find themselves having won four of the team's last five series. A Sunday afternoon, a 7 2 win over the American League West leading Texas Rangers at Nationals Park to win the series. Two games to one. The ants at the Break are and All of a sudden, Joey Manessis can't not homer. He on Sunday homered for a third consecutive game and for a fourth time in that series against the Rangers. Much more on that Nats win later in the show, but we on Sunday night had day one of the three-day 2023 MLB draft in which the Nats had the number two overall pick. The Pittsburgh Pirates, with the number one overall pick, took LSU pitcher Paul Skeens, and the Nats, with that number two overall pick, took LSU outfielder Dylan Cruz. The reactions to all of this have been varied. There are Nats fans who are disappointed that the Nats did not get Skeens. Heck, the Nats themselves may well be disappointed that they did not get Skeens, but there are plenty of people who are thrilled. And in my opinion, should be thrilled that the Nats got Dylan Cruz. There's a lot to talk about with this, but we should start with this. Mark, are you prepared mentally, physically, spiritually to cover yet another prominent Nats player represented by Scott Boris?
1: Oh, Al, here we go again, right? You know what? What I'm very much looking forward to will be, let's say it's July 2024, the first time that the Nationals with Dylan Cruz on the roster are playing in New York against the Mets and for the New York media to be peppering him with questions about ultimately coming to New York to play for the Yankees or the Mets someday, right? That's bound to happen or whether it's the first trip to LA or whatever that may be. Thankfully, I've been through this before. I know how to handle it. Uh, (laughs) I roll my eyes at it once again and and we'll do that. You know, that's the only part of it that I think is a little – Annoying, and I'm sure for fans, for everybody, is maybe a little bit annoying about it is that as excited as you should be about them getting the best position player available to them, as much of a slam dunk hitting prospect as you're going to find and a guy who's going to be in the big leagues soon, there's going to be that little bit of feeling like, okay, well, we got him for six years. We better make the most of this because chances are we're not going to still have him come year seven. Who knows how that's all going to play out? We have no idea what the state of the Nationals or the state of Dylan Cruz is going to be six or seven years from now. So I say push that one aside. Don't think about that part of it too much and be excited that in a year in which you did not have the number one pick, you drafted a guy worthy of being a number one pick. That's a pretty good thing to have.
0: Yeah, I think that it is. And, you know, you can twist yourself in all kinds of knots worrying about what's going to happen with Dylan Cruz's free agency. First of all, try to enjoy life a little bit, okay, and enjoy this pick and enjoy what Dylan Cruz could end up being for the Nats. And yeah, like the Nats could be under new ownership. Cruz maybe could end up parting with Boris. Cruz could end up pulling a Steven Strasburg and signing an in-season extension with the Nats. Like, you never know with this stuff. So try to calm down a little bit. Look, I have Boris fatigue like everybody else, but, you know, things can change. And so often in sports, as is the case in life, you think you know, and then it turns out you don't know. We all don't know. That's the beauty of uh, what we're talking about here. So do you think the Nats are disappointed? that they did not get Paul Skeens? Do you think that the Nats come out of Sunday night saying, look, we're happy to have Dylan Cruz, but we would have preferred to have gotten Paul Skeens? What do you think Mike Rizzo truly is thinking?
1: I think like a lot, maybe even most fans, there's going to be a little bit of conflicting feelings here. I think they are genuinely thrilled to have this player, a true game changer. And oh, by the way, For a team that we've been talking about all year, doesn't hit and doesn't hit for power, they just injected a big-time hitter who should be able to produce for them in the very near future into their organization. So You can't tell me that that's not something that they don't desperately want and need on this team in the coming years. So You have to be excited about that. Now, deep down, all the indications – This was such a weird year in that I think most seasons – you have a pretty good sense of who the number one pick is going to be leading up to it. And by all accounts, the Pirates held this one close to the vest and nobody knew. If you're watching the coverage, none of the experts going into it knew. There seemed to be more of a sense that Wyatt Langford was going to be the number one pick than anybody else. And it feels like the Skeens pick caught a lot of people off guard. So I don't know deep down if the Pirates had planned for Skeens all along and just did a great job of hiding that. Or if they really were undecided and putting different feelers out there. We know Mike Rizzo and his history with big time college arms. We know the idea that the Nationals could have just added a, another potential ace to a rotation that, as we've discussed, within a year or two could look really good if everybody pans out the way they're supposed to, and a guy who's not a Scott Boris client and a guy who Probably was the most well known of all the college players because we saw what he did in the World Series. You know, it was so dramatic. You had to pay attention to that. So, yeah, I'm sure there's a little bit of, boy, that would have been nice, some wistful thinking there. But deep down, I don't think they can be upset by it. They knew all along, we don't have the number one pick. It's not our decision to make. It would have been fascinating if the Pirates did go with Langford and now. The Nats had to make their choice and make it public. In some ways, this could get Rizzo and Chris Klein off the hook. You know, they took who everybody said you would have to take in that spot. And if Skeens turns out to be an all-star Hall of Famer with the Pirates or somebody else down the road, nothing the Nats could do about it. So maybe in some ways it's actually takes some pressure off them as an organization. So I think it's conflicting feelings. I think they probably, given the choice, would have taken Skeens. But I don't think they're disappointed necessarily to get Cruz.
0: Well, I would throw out a few things. So first of all, I've seen a good bit of this of, well, you win with starting pitching. Yes, but you also win with hitting. You win with both. There is no like either or with this, okay? To win a World Series, you have to have good pitching to some degree and you have to have good hitting to some degree. The Nats don't win the 2019 World Series without the many great hitters and the many big offensive moments that the team had That October. It's not you have to pick one lane and go down that lane. Like the goal, if you're in charge of baseball operations, is to build up both your pitching and your hitting. And the idea of like one matters more than the other, I don't really think that that's the case. There are plenty of examples of teams that weren't necessarily great in the regular season from a starting pitching standpoint doing well in postseasons. And actually, if you look at recent MOB postseason history, a lot of these supposed premier starting pitchers have gotten rocked in postseason games. There are a number of instances of supposed premium starting pitchers struggling in October. So you need both. It's not an either or scenario. Paul Skeens would have been great. Paul Skeens would have been exciting. Paul Skeens instantly would have become the face of the Nats rebuild. And Paul Skeens starts at the major league level would have been events. There's no doubt about that. But Paul Skeens also is a pitcher. And we know what happens with pitchers. They tend to get hurt. And You know, with this guy, you just don't know. He supposedly routinely was throwing at or above 100 miles per hour. I don't care how big you are, how strong you are, how talented you are. The human body is not meant to do that. And so it may well could be that Paul Skeens is a Tommy John surgery or something worse waiting to happen. Now, we've seen plenty of guys come back from Tommy John. But you tell me, is that a dance that you would like the Nats to dance once again? A top starting pitcher having to undergo a major surgery? There's also this, too. If I asked you, what's more valuable, a great starting pitcher or a great batter? They're both extremely valuable, but I do think that the answer is a great batter. You know, the idea of a starting pitcher, if he stays healthy, is making in the neighborhood of 30 starts the idea that a great batter, if he's mostly healthy, is making in the neighborhood of what, 155, 160 starts. You know, it's interesting if you look at the top players in terms of pitchers and position players in war, all right, just go to like baseball reference and look at that. The wars for position players are higher than the wars for pitchers in terms of the top position players and the top pitchers because a position player, because he can play in many more games, can provide more value. So, You know, it's one thing if the pitcher is great and the batter is like kind of good, but if they're both great, like if you're saying, would you rather have Mike Trout or Clayton Kershaw? I think the answer is Mike Trout, even though you would love to have Clayton Kershaw. So if both guys hit, and of course that's a hit, that's a big if, Skeens, Cruz. If both guys hit, I do think that you are better off with Dylan Cruz. And so assuming that Dylan Cruz has his head on straight, has a good attitude, and, you know, isn't some injury prone position player. I think the Nats may well have received a blessing in disguise on Sunday night in uh, being essentially forced to take Dylan Cruz. Because I think you're right. I think the Nats would have taken Paul Skeens if it had been up to them. and Not that that would have been some calamity, but I really think we could look back on this as being a very good thing that the Nats had to take the best batter in this draft.
1: I look at it this way. You mentioned Trout or Kershaw. I think it's fair to kind of view this as a Strasburg versus Harper dilemma. They're not exactly the same, more so that the the Harper comparison to Cruz isn't exactly right because, you know, he was 18, got the GED, didn't play a regular university. But it was funny that Dylan Cruz in talking to all of us mentioned that he grew up idolizing Bryce Harper and wants to be like him. Now that can go a lot of different ways. You can either look at that as a great thing, or that could also agonize you as a Nats fan if you really think that he's ultimately going to become Bryce in other ways. But Forget about what ultimately happened 10 years later, but in the moment, Bryce Harper or Steven Strasburg, who would you rather have? I think a lot of people would have said Bryce. The guarantee of a hitting prospect versus a pitching prospect, as much guarantee as there is, that matters. And Let's also point out here, this isn't just about hitting. This guy plays center field and the thinking is that he can stick as a big league center fielder. So He is a complete player. He's not just a big masher. At the plate. He maybe as a hitter actually profiles more like an Anthony Rendon in that great eye at the plate, more walks than strikeouts this past year at LSU, hits doubles, hits homers. I've seen other comparisons to Alex Bregman as a hitter as well. I mean, there's no guarantees, but this is as close to a sure thing as you're going to get as far as knowing. You've got a big time, hopefully all-star caliber outfielder that's going to be on your team here very soon. So I don't think you can be upset with that at all. And On top of that all, and again, we'll see once he gets here, but by all accounts, this is a good kid, a very competitive kid, a leader, a natural leader who has had the spotlight on him from the beginning. He declined to go in the draft in 2020 out of high school, went to LSU and had a spotlight on him from day one, and he dominated each of his three seasons there at one of, if not the best programs in college baseball, capped off by winning the College World Series. This guy has accomplished everything that you could want an amateur player to accomplish. And listening to him and talking to him on Sunday night, he is very motivated now to take that success that he's had at the amateur level and do it on the professional level as well.
0: Dylan Cruz in LSU's 2023 national championship season played in all 71 of the team's games. He finished with a jaw-dropping slash line of a batting average of .426 and on base percentage of .567 and a slugging percentage of .713. I mean, that is otherworldly to have a slash line along those lines. Uh, He won that Golden Spikes Award this past June 25th. It's basically like the Heisman Trophy uh, for college baseball, just the second LSU player ever to win a Golden Spikes. The first was Mark's colleague, Ed Masson, former Oriole starting pitcher, Ben McDonald. And I think the point about the defense is key. He was a center fielder for LSU. He profiles as someone who will play center field in the majors. If you look at the defensive spectrum in baseball, center field – Third base, shortstop, catcher. Those are like the four premium defensive positions if you're not including pitcher. And the fact that this guy doesn't seem to be someone who's going to have to be shifted, you know, left or right field, like, no, he'll be a center fielder. He could legitimately be a five-tool player for you, a stud both offensively and defensively. There is extreme value in that. LSU listed him as being six feet and 205 pounds. His nickname is Mini Mike Trout. But, you know, in baseball, it doesn't matter how tall you are. Like, who cares whether he's six feet or 6'3 or 5'11, like whatever. If you can hit and you can field, that is the thing. So what now for him? He'll play, I guess, what, rookie ball in the coming months? Will he not play the rest of this year? What do you think the plan is with him?
1: Well, the first thing is he's got to sign. And it's possible we don't know for sure, but the talk was that he was going to seek a signing bonus higher than the slot value at number one, and that that may have turned the Pirates off in some way. Now, the slot for the number two pick that the Nationals have is eight point nine, almost nine million dollars. It remains to be seen here if he's going to look for more than that, and if the Nationals are going to go over that number. They are allowed to. For those who don't know, they have a total draft pool of $14.5 million they can spend on all 20 of their picks. So you can spend more on one and then have to take a little bit off later on. Well, I'll be interested to see how that plays out. I don't think they're going to have a whole lot of trouble <laughs> signing him. This is not going to be an Aaron Crow situation. That's the last time they didn't sign their first round pick. Ever since Mike Rizzo took over as GM in 2009, they have signed their first round pick. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. But We'll see how that all plays out. Once that happens, you probably send him down to West Palm Beach just to get his feet wet, even if it's just for a week or two, learn how things are done in the organization. But it'll be interesting to see. Would they try to get him up to one of the uh, A-ball teams, either Fredericksburg or Wilmington by the end of the year? Would they want to send him to the Arizona Fall League this fall? That to me would be a key tell. If they send him to Arizona this fall, then they may believe that he is close to big league ready. Maybe not opening day next year, but not that far off. And then go from there, maybe double A to start next year, and then we're off to the races. And we'll see how it all plays out. He's got to show that he can succeed each of those levels. But you know, remember the last two years they took high school hitters, and that's a slower path to the big leagues. College hitter from a big program, more inclined to move him along quickly. And by the way, let's just point this out: the Nationals, the All pitching organization, the team, the, the team that only drafts pitchers in the first round has taken a position player three straight years now with varied results. We'll see how it all works out, but that's a little bit of a change of philosophy in some ways for them.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we know what it should be, right? You just take the best player available. So I I would assume that that's just how their draft board has broken these last few years. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily a philosophical shift, but maybe it is. Who the heck knows? So, you know, with Dylan Cruz, there's also this, and I think it's impossible to not think about this, especially with him being a Scott Boris client, service time if the Nats next year still are not very good, and you know, I think it's a pretty safe bet, they're not going to go into next season like expecting to make the postseason. You never know. Maybe next season's a big step forward season. But to have him playing for you from the start of next season while you're still a bad team wouldn't make much sense. So yeah, I would think at the very least, you wait to call him up to the majors next year in order to get that extra year of service time. I don't think you can have him in the minors for all of next season if, in fact, he is who we think he is. But that's got to be a consideration, right? I mean, when you're in the midst of a rebuild and you're still a bad team, it does you no good to have someone this good up playing for you and burning service time before you're ready to win again.
1: Yeah, although you could argue that his coming up may help the team win. So that could be a factor. Now, he's not alone going to do it for you. So a lot will depend on where else everyone else is and, and how far along they're coming. But yeah, as much as people want to say, want to blame teams for holding prospects back, it still holds true that if you wait just a few weeks and wait till the end of April to call up a guy, you gain another year of control of him. You're a free agent after six years of big league service time, but you can't become a free agent in the middle of a season. So as long as you don't play enough in year one to get a full year of service time, you essentially bought yourself an extra year of it and you get a seventh year of him. It's what they did with Harper, Strasburg. It's what most teams have done in most cases. Now, MLB has tried to curb that or at least give teams incentive by saying, if you put a prospect, a rookie on your opening day roster and he plays the whole season and he wins, or is I think top three for rookie of the year voting, you get extra draft picks as a result of that. So there could be a little motivation to do that. My guess is that that wouldn't really be first and foremost on their mind. Best case scenario, I think we probably see him at some point next summer, let's say, not in the spring.
0: Yeah, I don't blame any team one bit for manipulating the service time stuff. The rules are the rules. If the players don't like it, then collectively bargain those rules away. But until the rules change, to me as an organization, you are moronic if you don't take advantage of these rules. Like, come on, like you got to do what's best for the team. So yeah, it would seem that maybe midseason next season – we see Dylan Cruz. So the Nats right now do have the number five prospect in baseball per MLB pipeline and outfielder James Wood. It's conceivable that when the next prospect rankings come out, the Nats have, say, two top 10 prospects, maybe even two top five prospects. I mean, you know, Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens could be one, two in some order in some of these prospect rankings. Like, we don't know. So it is really exciting to think about. Do you think the hype For Dylan Cruz will be what it was for Bryce Harper. I mean, the hype for Harper and Strasburg was so big because these guys were like already known when they got picked. Each guy was a number one overall pick. The Nats had just recently come to Washington, D.C., so there was, you know, sort of a novelty to everything. Do you think the hype for Cruz will be along the lines of the hype for Harper or not really?
1: I don't think it will be quite as much because they're not number one, number two, and it may not mean that much and may say, hey, could have, should have been number one, but he ultimately was not number one. Also, drafted in a year with all of these big names where that's going to take some of the attention away from it. And while he does seem to have some personality and obvious skills, I don't get the sense that he is, you know, viewed as a Harper was in terms of oversized personality, the attention on him since he was 15 years old, or Strasburg, who everybody understood to be this like once in a generation pitcher. Now, I think Paul Skeens may get that. And when he makes his debut, there may be some resemblances to when the Nationals called up Strasburg to face the Pirates in DC for that debut. So there may be some of that there. I don't think it'll be quite to that extent. It'll be a big deal. And I think people who care about this obviously will make a big deal out of it. But I don't think this is going to be like the entire baseball world salivating over that. Now, you mentioned James Wood, and I think this is interesting. If he pans out to be who he's supposed to be, if Dylan Cruz is who he's supposed to be, that's two-thirds of a really good outfield right there. We've talked about for the last year how much the Nats have done to stockpile outfielders in their system. All of a sudden, there is a lot of less pressure on Elijah Green, Robert Hassel, Jeremy De La Rosa, Christian Vaquero. You would love for them to all pan out, but all of a sudden, you don't quite need it as much. It's also an interesting question with Lane Thomas as they decide what they're going to do moving forward with him if he's a part of it or if they would look at him as a trade chip. On the flip side though, this was one of my first thoughts as this all went down on Sunday night. There is now some added pressure on Cade Cavalli, Mackenzie Gore, and Josiah Gray to now lead this staff moving forward. If you were of the belief that Paul Skeens would have just jumped right in and become their number one starter, everybody else moves down a slot and there's a little less pressure on them. Now they kind of really need all three of those guys to pan out and be what they're supposed to be. And then maybe somebody else, Jackson Rutledge, Cole Henry, Jake Irvin, whoever else from the system. There is going to be some pressure now on them to get it right with the pitchers that they already have in the organization.
0: Yeah. I would say, though, the biggest pressure is on the organization to draft some non-first round guys who actually end up hitting. And so, OK, you didn't get Paul Skeens. That doesn't mean that you can't get an ace out of this 2023 draft, OK? We have these rounds called the second round and the third round and the fourth round. And you need to do a much better job in those rounds than you have been doing for about a decade now. But yet, you know what? The uh, the abundance of outfielders, I mean, you know, the beauty of that, of course, would be, well, you could always move one of those guys you know, to say first base. like there's not an obvious long-term first baseman for this team. So you know, whether it would be Elijah Green or Robert Hassel the third or whoever, you know, you could always figure it out to where you put the guy at first. That's a nice problem to have. You could certainly work your way through that problem of having all of these outfielders. And you know, James Wood, for those who don't know, he's six, seven, but the guy runs like, you know, he's Usain Bolt. I mean, he, he's a freakish athlete. So in theory, in Cruz and Wood, you have two center field caliber outfielders at the same time in the same outfield. You know, if both guys work out at the major league level, that could be tremendous outfield defense for the Nats in the coming years. So it is exciting to think about. And I think people should be happy about Dylan Cruz. And look, if you really wanted Paul Skeens, what do you think? The Pirates are going to hold on to Paul Skeens through his uh, free agency years? Like, there's no chance of that, right? So you could assign Paul Skeens as a free agent in a few years. So, you know, <laughs> you could look at it like that. Hey, are you a law firm partner stuck on an underperforming team while the rest of the competitors are spending big and winning big? Well, unlike Mackenzie Gore and Kate ruiz you have options. You don't have to stay on your 60-win team. Nats Chat sponsor Mason Kalfis and his team specialize in placing partners and associates at medium-sized and large law firms in Washington, D.C. and across the country. Mason Kelfis has recruiters in six states and displaced lawyers in more than half of the 100 largest law firms in the United States. While you may be reading doom and gloom from the legal press, many practices are red-hot antitrust, IP litigation, white-collar litigation, finance and direct lending, and healthcare. Because you are not under a CBA or team control for six years, in fact, staying at a firm too long is often a recipe for being underpaid. Explore your options today with Mason Kelfis. Call Mason today at 202-486-3535. That number again, 202-486-3535.
3: Hey, Nat I'll be honest, I'm a fan of the theater and a fan of Disney classics. So when I heard Lion King was coming to the county center, I went to Game Time to find quote-unquote cheap tickets for the show while it's in D.C. during the All-Star break. Fortunately, using the promo code for Nats Chat, I didn't spend too much and got the curly W when it comes to planning date night. Game Time is the fastest and easiest way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater near you. It's the fastest-growing ticketing app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you would know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Snag the tickets without the stress with GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code NATSCHAT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code NATSCHAT for $20 off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. (music) The wind in the 0-2. Swing and a miss, struck him out with a slider. Patrick Corbin strikes out the side to start the game here in the top of the first inning. Next delivery, swing a high drive, well hit to right center field. Way back this one goes, it's got a chance, and it's gone. And Joey Manessis has homered again. That is four in this series for Joey, number six on the season. And the Nationals a 6-1 lead. This time he hits it to right center field. What a shot from Anessis! He needs to keep playing. No all-star break for you, Joey.
0: We had what happened in the MLB draft on Sunday night, but we also had what happened in the Nationals' actual game on Sunday afternoon. And it's almost a shame that this game happened on day one of the MLB draft because this would have been a great game to sink our teeth into, but we'll certainly get into the game right now. So a 7-2 win over the Texas Rangers on Sunday afternoon to win this series Two games to one. So a homestand that was, you know, taking the shape of a nightmare, right? Four-game sweep to the Cincinnati Reds. Then you lose game one to the Rangers. 0-5 start. You end up winning each of the final two games. You win those final two games in fairly convincing fashion, right? 8-3 on Saturday, 7-2 on Sunday afternoon. The mighty Rangers over these final two games scored a total of just five runs. And it was the Nats who totaled 15 runs. Uh, Some really good pitching by the starting pitcher in this game, Patrick Corbin, but Mark, I don't know how we don't talk about what Joey Manessis ended up doing over this weekend. He came into the series having hit just two homers this entire season. He exits the series having hit four homers in the series, four solo homers. He homered in every game. He on Sunday afternoon as an ad-starting DH and number four batter, one for three with a solo homer and a walk. The walk actually was quite impressive. Bottom of the second, a leadoff nine-pitch walk despite having been down at 1.12. And then Manessis, in an Ad's two-run seventh, a one-out opposite field solo homer to right center for a 6-1 Nats lead, 407 feet per stat cast. We talked a bunch of Manessis on the previous installment of the show, but man, what a weekend this guy ended up having. I mean, clearly, if Joey Manessis ends up having the 2023 season we all wanted him to have, this is the turning point right here, what went down this weekend.
1: Can they option him to Rochester for the next few days so he can spend the break continuing to play? He has options left. Can they do that just to keep him hot and then call him back up on Friday in St. Louis? I don't think you're actually allowed to do that that soon. Boy, if anybody doesn't want an all-star break right now, it's Joey Manessas because something clicked for him this weekend. And boy, is that a relief for him and for everybody else. And you heard it on the broadcast on Sunday. The first three, he pulled to left field. This one, he drove to right center, something he did a lot late last season that really stood out about him. That was a great sign if he's able to now hit the ball in the air with power to the opposite field. Man, it is really exciting to see him do that. He's been waiting for it. They've all been waiting for it. I don't know if it's going to continue or not. You hope it somehow does to some extent, and all of a sudden, that's a very different threat in the middle of your lineup for a guy who was still, as we've been talking about, hitting pretty well all season long, just not hitting the ball for power. It was immense. And I mean, who would have thought where things were standing going into the weekend that the Nationals would outslug the Rangers and that's why they win two of the three games? Never would have seen that one coming.
0: No you wouldn't. I mean the Nats hit 3 home runs in each of the final 2 games in this series and you know one of the things I've harped on this year is how it's been Lane Thomas and Jamer Candelario and then not much else offensively. Those are the only two guys on the Nats with OPSs for this season above 800. Well, all of a sudden Joy Medeses off what he did over the weekend OPS of 732 on the year. He's got his slugging percentage up above 400 at 404. So those numbers can be improved on. There's enough season left to where Manessis can still have the season that, you know, we all were hoping uh, that he would have here. But man, what a weekend Joey Manessis ended up having. Very nice weekend for CJ Abrams. I mean, you have to say so far, so good for Abrams as an ads leadoff batter. He got on base three more times in this game, on Sunday afternoon, he was the Nats number one batter for a third time in three games. Three for five with an RBI single and two other singles. He in the Nats two-run fifth had a one-out opposite field single to left field. He in the Nats three-run sixth had a two-out first-pitch RBI single up the middle for a five-one Nats lead. And he in the bottom of the eighth had a two-out infield single on an O-2 pitch on an infield fly ball that uh, the Rangers' second baseman, Marcus Semien, lost in the sun in another instance of the sun monster striking. But I tell you, Abrams in this series, especially on Sunday, I thought, he looks confident, you know, he is swinging, you know, 0-2 pitch, first pitch. Like, it doesn't matter. He seems to be playing with a conviction that I don't think we've always seen him play with.
1: Yeah, I like you pointing that out. It's not just the results, it's the way he's gone about it, the process at the plate and in the field, he has looked like a different guy over this weekend. And I'm sure he's been frustrated the way a lot of this season went. And I think part of the reason Davey Martinez made that move was to serve as something of a confidence boost to the kid. Who, if he's hitting eighth or ninth all year and batting in the 220s with an on-base percentage under 300, making errors in the field, that can get you down somewhat on a losing team on top of all that. This seems like it has been a little bit of a boost to his confidence and great for him that he's taken advantage of it. He's looked really good and really comfortable in that spot. And as we said from the outset, this wasn't just going to be a short-term thing. They want to stick with this hopefully through the rest of the year, but he's got to show that he deserves to stay up there. And so far, three games in, there's nothing to complain about the way C.J. Abrams played as a leadoff hitter.
0: The Nats' other two home runs on Sunday afternoon came from Dominic Smith and Stone Garrett. Dominic Smith, as the Nats' starting first baseman, a number seven batter, one for three, solo homer and a hit-by-pitch. Smith in the Nats' two-run fifth, a first pitch leadoff homer to right center for a one nothing Nats lead. Yeah, it took a while for us to get some scoring in this game. It was a scoreless game through four and a half innings. And Stone Garrett, he in this game came off the bench, and he and the Nats' two-run seventh had a two-out solo homer to left field on an 0-2 pitch for a 7-1 Nats lead. It is standing out, at least to me, we're seeing more of Stone Garrett than we are of Corey Dickerson lately. Dickerson only started one game in this series. He actually started the game on Sunday afternoon, but then he was replaced by Stone Garrett, who had started the previous two games in left field. The overall numbers for the season, Garrett's are better than Dickerson's. The idea had been Dickerson versus right-handed pitching, Garrett versus left-handed pitching. Do you think we could be seeing a bit of a change here to where Garrett more and more is becoming the 1A to Dickerson's 1B in terms of the Nationals left fielders?
1: Well, the sign of that will be if he actually starts versus righty instead of Dickerson. So far, they've just faced a good number of lefties, including two in this series. It is funny. It feels like this year they have faced way more lefties than they normally would. So that has led to a lot of that, but you are seeing if they have a lead late in the game or if the opposing manager makes a, a change and goes to a lefty out of the bullpen, Davey will play that card. He doesn't pinch hit very much, not for many guys, including you know, some sometimes the struggling younger players. He's not pinch hitting for them. He is pinch hitting for Dickerson with Garrett. And so I think there is probably a little more faith and confidence right now in Stone Garrett to deliver both at the plate and in the field. We don't talk about Corey Dickerson very much because he hasn't done a whole lot worth talking about. He has not been what they hoped he would be We'll see come the end of the month if there is any kind of trade value on him. I don't know. Maybe there will be. I'm not sure there's a whole lot of reason to keep him beyond the deadline, anyways. So you take whatever you can get for him. And maybe that does open up the door for more at bats for Stone Garrett. But good for him to take an advantage of it. This was his first homer off a righty. So that's a good sign. Maybe reason to say, hey, you give him another shot to do that at some point here. But on a team that is lacking in power, as we keep saying, any power you get from whoever you get it, you are very excited to see it.
0: And Alex Call on Sunday afternoon, another productive game for him. Uh, one for three, a two-run single, a walk, and a stolen base. He in a Nats three-run six at a two-out, two-run single to left center for a 4-1 Nats lead. Alex Call, since being called back up to the majors, six for 16, two homers, four singles, three walks, two for three on stolen bases. So he continues to do a nice job. <music> Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. Summer is here. The heat, the humidity, forcing your air conditioning unit into overdrive, leading to energy bills that are higher than Jane Wood's potential. <laughs> the solution, new windows for my friends at Window Nation, which is offering a great deal. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell WindowNation that you want the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi on the That's Chat podcast. Protect your home and increase the value of your home with great new windows from WindowNation, which does windows right. You know, the average installer from WindowNation has over 16 years of experience with over 20 windows installed. No money down, no payments, and no interest for two years, plus two free windows for every two windows that you buy. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Windownation that Al Galdi sent you.
3: Hey, NatShat Podcast, here to tell you about Factor Meal Delivery Service. It's a new partnership that our podcast will be able to enjoy, and we think you will too. Now that we're in the thick of summer, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals to support sunny, active days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with flavorful and nutritious ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, eat well, and stay on track reaching your goals. Too busy with summer plans to cook but want to make sure you're eating well? With Factor, skip the extra trip to the grocery store and the chopping, prepping, and cleaning up too while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you need. This July, get Factor and enjoy eating well without the hassle. Simply choose your meals and enjoy fresh, flavor-packed meals delivered to your door. Ready in just two minutes. No prep. No mess. Head to Factormeals.com slash Natschat50 and use code Natschat50 to get 50% off. That's code Natschat50 at Factormeals.com. Here's his pitch. Swing, a ground ball toward the middle.
2: Abrams to his left, two steps. He gloves, he throws on the move. Stretch by Smith is in time for the out.
0: And Corbin is three up, three down for the third straight inning. Did anyone on Sunday for the Nats do a better job than Patrick Corbin? Patrick Corbin, what a Jekyll and Hyde last few weeks for him. He is alternating between not just good start, bad start. But, like, great start, awful start. I mean, the variance with Corbin these last few weeks is something. So, Corbin in this 7-2 win over the Rangers on Sunday afternoon, one run in seven innings with six strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up just five hits, a double, and four singles. He threw a lot of strikes, 91 pitches versus 60 strikes versus a mere 31 balls. And I can't emphasize this enough. He did this against one of the top offensive teams in the majors in the Rangers. I mean, this wasn't against some patsy. Corbin pitched really well against the Rangers team that actually came into the game number one in the majors in team weighted runs created plus for this season. And then there's this. So the Rangers, as many of you listening probably know, are like loaded with all-stars this season. The Rangers have five players on the American League all-star team for this season. Corbin began the game striking out each of the first four batters he faced, all of whom are on the 2023 American League All-Star team. Patrick Corbin, in doing that, became just the third major league pitcher in the expansion era. That's since 1961 to, in a game, strike out each of the first four batters he faced, with all four of those batters being All-Stars for that season. I mean, who was this guy on Sunday afternoon? And again, he's coming off a really bad start, which followed a really good start, which followed a really bad start. This is quite the ride that uh, Patrick Corbin is taking us on.
1: All right. Well, first of all, I would love to know how many times in history any pitcher has even had the chance to face four straight All-Stars outside of an All-Star game. That's a, a highly unusual situation to begin with. But hey, good for him for taking care of business there. That was really, really impressive. Now, these last four starts you're talking about, at San Diego, seven runs and five innings, no good. So only three strikeouts and two homers Loud. At Seattle, scoreless ball for seven innings, no walks, nine strikeouts, obviously no home runs. Then he faces the Reds, six runs, 10 hits in five innings, only two strikeouts, two home runs. You're sensing a theme here, what defines the good starts from the bad starts. And then now this one against Texas, one run in seven innings, one walk, six strikeouts and no homers. When he gets strikeouts, he's good. When he doesn't walk batters, he's good. When he doesn't give up home runs, he's good. Funny how that all works out. I don't know how to explain this other than the only thing that stands out to me, these two great starts both came against teams from the AL West, teams and hitters that he probably has never faced before, and they may not know him the way that National League teams do. Maybe for a guy like this, who I think we all understand there's a little bit of familiarity and that he hasn't changed that much in terms of what he throws— since he was really good in 2019, maybe the teams that haven't seen him have a harder time distinguishing the fastball from the slider, and that's why he had success against them. I don't know if that's true or not. His numbers are a little better against the American League this year in the National League. Not great. It's not like he's got a sub-3 RA or anything against the American League. But for all the people out there who want to believe that there's still a chance the Nats could trade him before the deadline, I would say look for an American League team <laughs> that is willing to see if he can have success against fellow American League teams down the stretch. That might be your best hope.
0: It's so funny because you can't sit here and say he's having a good season. 19 starts. He has an ERA of 489. He has a whip of 155, but his good has been like great. Like his best starts have been Arguably the best starts that the Nats have gotten from any pitchers this season. So yeah, go figure. But good job. Patrick Corbin against, again, a really good hitting team in the Rangers on Sunday afternoon. Three Nats relievers in the game combined to allow one run in two innings. Jose Ferreira run in two-thirds of an inning. Kyle Finnegan faced one batter, got one out. And then Hunter Harvey, a scoreless top of the ninth, despite giving up back-to-back one-out singles. So the All-Star break is upon us. We have the Home Run Derby on Monday night, the actual All-Star game on Tuesday night. Josiah Gray, of course, is the Nats' lone All-Star. Him pitching on Tuesday night, will that affect when he next starts a game for the Nats or not necessarily?
1: It could. First of all, I think he probably will pitch. There's so many guys who have backed out or saying they're not going to be able to pitch because they pitched over the weekend. So I think there's definitely an opportunity for him to do it. We haven't heard what the Nats' plans are, but I think that they are going to want to push the young guys back, the guys that have to watch their innings. So Mackenzie Gore, probably Jake Irvin, and I would include Josiah Gray in that, especially if he does throw an inning on Tuesday. So I would not be surprised, without having exact knowledge of this, if we see something like Corbin and Trevor Williams coming out of the break, and then you go to the younger guys after that. So I would not be surprised if they gave him a few extra days. Ultimately, you're trying to get those three young guys as deep into the season as you can without worrying about shutting them down. Gray, it's less of a concern because they did it with him last year and so he can build up even further. But certainly Gore and Irvin, they're going to be watching much more closely and they're going to have to find ways to skip starts or ultimately even shut them down in September.
0: Well, the Nats take Dylan Cruz with the number two overall pick in the 2023 draft. You tell us what you think. Uh, you can tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can email us, Natschatpodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to sponsor the show. We'd love to have you on board. Hit up Tim Shover, see what we can do for you. That email address again, Natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Check out our website too, Natschatpodcast.com, at which you can order a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt all Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. A thank you to Tim Newmark for the Nats Chat podcast music. Visit timnewmark.com. So for Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We thank you for listening. Enjoy your all-star break, and we will talk to you next time on the Nats Chat podcast. With the 40th pick of the 2023 MLB draft, the Washington Nationals select Yohandi Yoyo Morales, a third baseman from the University of Miami.